that because it's going to feed back if I didn't do that. So um, I want you to think for a second, make a mental note or write it down. If you've got a piece of paper near you and it's something to write with, I want you to think about one of the promises that you're waiting for, like an end time promise specifically, like if I saw this happen, I would know it's on. If this thing starts to happen, Jesus's return is near. What are some of the things that you think about when you hear these, these words? Just yell them out. The two witnesses. If I saw the two witnesses appear, I'd be like, okay, good. Any more? Water turning into blood. Good. These are kind of real tangible signs, right? What are some of the other things? What are some of the other promises that go along with these tangible signs? Yeah. Spirit of lawless is being released. Can you see any of that right now? Yeah, definitely. Every day, yes. What about what? Are, what? Are, what are some other things that you're like? Oh, that would be a real sign. The spirit of Elijah being released, turning the hearts of the fathers of the children, children of the fathers. Good. What else? A couple more. This is just to engage you. Don't worry. No wrong answers. How about a great harvest? Anybody ever think, you know, if I saw a ton of people coming into the kingdom, that would be a sign, right? How about the end time worship movement? What about night and day prayer? Anybody think Tabernacle of David? Seeing that grow, that'd be a big sign. Are we seeing some of that right now? So Hebrews 11, it, the whole, this whole message this morning is about Hebrews 11. It's really about the spirit of prophecy. So we're called to be a place that is engaging in Tabernacle of David-style worship and prayer. And that's kind of why this whole church was started. Some things about the Tabernacle of David are essential. And we've kind of been talking about those on and off for the last six years. That the Tabernacle of David, it's like centrally located, right? That the Tabernacle of David is Israel-centric. That the Tabernacle of David must be prophetic. So we started talking about the core values about three weeks ago. And the core values really accentuate kind of the tabernacle of David must-haves, if you start to think about it like that. But this is the problem. Our language for some of these things is loaded. Like, we've, most of us have spent more than a couple of years in the church. So we've, and most of us have been to different churches. So we've heard different definitions of things that we think each other thinks the same thing about but we're actually communicating something totally different than the other person is hearing sometimes. So when I say the spirit of prophecy, however many people in here are hearing that many different things. When I say the word revival, however many people in this room there are, are hearing something probably a little bit different. When I say the word centrally located or, you know, just any of these tabernacles, Israel-centric, you could say Israel-centric, and some people could think, oh, that means we should be praying for the government of the United States to support Israel militarily, where someone else might hear, oh, actually, we have to pray that the United States wouldn't do that. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to understand that the Holy Spirit has a definition for each of these words, that it will take you thousands and thousands of years for him to define that for you. And if you are in a relationship with the Holy Spirit where you're learning something every day about to be more clear about what he means, you're really fascinated and engaged. And that's really what he wants to do. He wants to give us something fascinating and engaging. So there are some massive spiritual implications to time and the spirit of prophecy. Impatience and doubt, they are counter to faith and patience. Okay, And I just want to throw that out there before I start talking because the timing of some of the things that you're waiting for or think that you're going to see, actually the timing of it is frustrating some of you. The Lord told me that this morning. Just as clearly as he told me, there, you know, the thing about speech impediment or the right ear, just as clearly as I heard that, he said, the timing of some events has got people kind of disappointed and a little bit impatient and that we actually will find a lot of engagement with the Lord if we let him start to tell us where things fit before Jesus returns or after Jesus returns. Some of the things that we said this morning, there are things that are going to happen before Jesus returns. The two witnesses, clearly, they're going to manifest in a very tangible way before Jesus returns. Water turning to blood, 
is going to it's going to manifest both before Jesus returns and after Jesus returns. If you look at the the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments, you're going to see a a piece of that in the trumpet judgments. You're going to see a big piece of that in the bowl judgments. The great harvest. Some of it's going to happen before Jesus returns. There's going to be a multitude without number that comes out of the great tribulation, but a lot of that's going to manifest after Jesus returns, because people are going to get discipled. He's going to disciple all nations through a thousand-year reign. And so when we start to actually say, Jesus, what am I misunderstanding about time? Like, what am I watching to happen in my eyes, in the news, or in my church, or in my family that's actually not going to happen before you return? It's actually going to happen after you return. What am, what am I getting kind of impatient? It's got to happen, and we're running out of time. Are we running out of time? No, we are not running out of time. God sees time way different than we do, okay? So I'll get into the notes. The tabernacle of David must be prophetic. That's one of Lighthop's core values. To live prophetically by listening to the voice of the Lord and in faith, obeying, holding unswervingly to the written word of God, the Bible, as the preeminent standard all other words from the Lord are evaluated by. And then the, the passage to Tim, 2 Timothy 3.16, or the verse 2 Timothy 3.16, which talks about the fact that scripture is useful for teaching and admonition in his spirit breathed, okay? So prophecy means something really specific in the Bible. It means something different than the world interprets the word prophecy to mean. It means something different than a lot of the church interprets the word prophecy to mean. If you're talking just anecdotally, if you're talking to somebody who's a cessationist, they believe the gifts of the spirit no longer operate like they do during the first generation of the apostles, Sometimes the word prophecy can shut somebody down from hearing you. But if you talk to to them about the way God talks to us, they're like, oh, yeah, God talks to me. I just don't believe in prophecy. Well, For a lot of us, that's the same thing. That's what we mean. Do you see what I'm saying? But it means more than that. It actually means more than we think it means. And if we open our hearts and let God start to define this for us, we're actually going to get reengaged. So the, the word that Lonnie gave this morning where he said, we're comfortable. And actually, God wants to do something about that. And he's like, I don't know exactly what that means. I think that was the right word. I think that the Lord actually wants to get us more engaged in what he's doing. And the way that that's going to happen is not by us seeing things that we've been waiting for. It's actually by us changing what we're looking to see. Okay? At least that's part of it. So, prophecy finds our impatience and our doubt. A prophetic word, it will find out where you're impatient and where you doubt. So if somebody gives you a prophetic word, you have to understand that's an assignment from the Lord to find out, do you trust him? Do you have faith? Do you have patience? Do you want his leadership in the fulfillment of that word? The word of the Lord, it tested Abraham. And when he was as good as dead to the promise, that's when it was fulfilled. But he didn't stop believing the promise. He just stopped trying to figure out and make it happen. He believed that God was faithful. Do you see what I'm saying? And that didn't, he did, God didn't have to jump through Abraham's hoops to fulfill that word. It was going to be fulfilled, and it was going to break Abraham's pride in the fulfillment. Every prophetic fulfillment in the Bible you're going to find acts this way. It's intended to make us more faithful, not less faithful. It's not supposed to be something tangible we see, and then we're like, okay, I can believe in God. It's actually supposed to get us to the point where we believe in God, and then we see it. Do you see what I'm saying? This is important. 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So if prophecy comes with this test, why is it that the Lord through Paul and through many other people kept saying, I desire all prophesy? Because he desires to qualify all into faith. He desires to qualify everybody into faith. So if you're not prophesying anything, if you're not actually taking a risk, hearing the Lord, stepping out in faith, knowing that it's going to happen different than you thought, You're actually not getting qualified into a reality where you're ready to live with Jesus forever. You actually have to start to say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I desire to prophesy. That's what he says. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Samantha prophesied something this morning. She said, this love, this this boundless love that pursues me also wants to be pursued. That's biblical. That's what he said. That's part of what is being said here in 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14, 31 to 33. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, if you're looking at the notes, you're going to notice something interesting about the word spirits. Is that uppercase or lowercase? Lower. That's your spirit. That's your spirit. It's subject to you. 
So the spirit of prophecy, what the spirit of prophecy imparts, if it's the Holy Spirit, is self-control. The Holy Spirit's not trying to get us to a place where we involuntarily do things. That's a mistake that happens in the church where we think it's real if I didn't intend it and it just kind of popped out. That's not, that's not actually agreeing with the Bible. The, your spirit is subject to you. The Holy Spirit, he speaks to your spirit, and then you get a choice. You get, you get to embrace that in faith, or you don't. But if you're waiting for something to involuntarily happen to you, that's not the way that this works, according to many places in the Bible. Now, some people prophesy involuntarily. A good story is Saul. You know, Saul got touched with the Holy Spirit and started prophesying on the way down the mountain. Did that work out great for Saul? Not really. No. So we don't want to just make these rules because we read something in the Bible. We ask, Holy Spirit, why did that happen? Why is that happening that way? What are you trying to do that I'm not letting you do, actually? And what are you not doing that I'm ascribing to you because it feels good to me? It feels true to me. Do you see what I'm saying? For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So a prophetic gift operating, it operates in order. It operates voluntarily. Now, that doesn't mean it's always perfect. In fact, this letter to the Corinthians was written to bring it back into order. But we have to understand, most of what we think about prophecy is fleshy thoughts about prophecy, not Holy Spirit thoughts. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are things that should be growing as we prophesy. Not because they're happening to us. Because we're recognizing that we lack them as the prophetic word tests us. Does that make sense? Now, the thing I'm going to talk about today is patience and faith. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to our church right now. He's saying you actually want to guard your heart against the loss of patience and faith. Like, look to prophesy so that you can grow in patience and faith is what that means. God is always taking a people from a people, always. His desire is to shepherd his people, which means to lead by going first. Now, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So we have to understand that there's a testimony when we, if we really want to agree with God about the spirit of prophecy, it happens in a testimony. This is what the Lord said to me. This is what, the way it changed me. This is what happened. And then that becomes a spirit of prophecy for other people. The angel, the, the, the passage that that comes from, that Revelation 19 passage, the, spirit of, the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, an angel reveals to John all these amazing things. And John starts to worship the angel. And he says, no, don't worship me. Worship God. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's saying, this is my testimony. This was shown to me. I'm showing it to you. Worship Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? This is really important because it's very tempting to get into a prophetic flow where we're actually just kind of bouncing off of each other, taking words from each other. There's a passage in here that's going to say, God is not pleased with that. Like stealing words from one another is the way that he says it. He's actually looking for us to hear the spirit, the testimony of Jesus and turn it into the spirit of prophecy. Okay, what, you said it to this person. What are you saying to me? Do you see what I'm saying? It's very easy to try to find validation in agreeing with the group that you're in. This is dangerous. You don't want to find validation in agreeing with the group that you're in. You want to find validation because the Holy Spirit's showing you something that you believed in faith. You stepped out in risk. He showed it to you, and then that becomes a testimony to everybody else that they can know God, not know what the group thinks. Do you get what I'm saying? False prophets do the exact opposite. They just kind of try to appeal to the group smooth things that work, like that feel like they work, but they lead people all together astray. Okay? You don't want to be caught up in that. So the way that we do that is we understand prophecy is difficult. It actually comes with a test, and that test is mostly for the prophet, the, the person releasing the word, but also for those who receive the prophet. You get the reward if you receive the prophecy, but you don't receive the prophecy just by hearing the person, well, yeah, I, I kind of like them. That sounds good. You receive the prophecy by taking it to the Lord and saying, is this the testimony of Jesus? Is it the spirit of prophecy? Now, like John the Baptist, Moses was more than a prophet. And the Lord asked me this morning to start with a story about Moses um, in Numbers 11 and Numbers 12. Moses led people, not just physically or administratively, but spiritually. So Moses had a job to do. He actually had a job to go first you know, he held the staff up over the Red Sea. The sea split. He went through. He went up on the mountain. He, he did things to organize the people of Israel administratively. In fact, his father-in-law came along. He's like, Moses, this is a terrible way to administrate this governance over these people. And he's told him to, you know, to find some people to help him. But Moses led the people spiritually as well. 
And so we want to understand, how did Moses prophetically lead Israel, okay, if we're going to be talking about prophecy? He had a supernatural meekness and generosity like God that came from spending time with God. So Moses, he got changed hanging out with God. He became prophetic, and then that gave him an ability to shine something to Israel that they would not otherwise have seen. If Moses hadn't gone up on the mountain, Israel would have been lost. Do you get that? Like, that wasn't just like, oh, that's kind of a cool facet of Moses' story. No, if Moses didn't go up, nobody else was going to go up. So Moses went up, okay? Now, this led Moses to see the same events everybody else was seeing in circumstances differently than the people around him. Moses saw things way different than everybody else around him. The same thing would happen in the desert. Moses saw it one way. The people saw it another way. Manna came down. The people saw the manna one way. Moses saw it a completely different way. People complained about the manna. They wanted meat. Moses saw that differently than all the people. A bunch of people complaining about meat made sense to a ton of people. But it didn't make sense to Moses. Do you see what I'm saying? Because Moses was leading Israel prophetically. So this led Moses to see the same events and circumstances differently than the people around him. That's actually what God is requiring of you. If you're a witness of Jesus, he's requiring that you watch the news and you see it differently than the people around you. He's requiring that you go through the city, you see the, the murder stuff, the traffic stuff, the sexual stuff. You look at it and you see it differently than the people around you, the way the news interprets it, the way the group that you like thinks it should be seen. He's actually looking for people to be like Moses, to actually come up on the mountain, hear what he thinks, come back down, and shine something that the earth needs. Do you guys think the earth needs a revelation of how God feels about things right now? Desperately. That's what Jen was kind of prophetically saying about. We're, we're not greedy. We're desperate for you. We really are. Now, this is what made him prophetic, seeing stuff differently than everybody else. Being prophetic or God-sighted, that's a, a phrase I felt like the Lord gave me this morning, God-sighted. Like, I just picture, like, standing behind Jesus, looking through a perfectly pure, clear-as-glass Jesus and seeing with his eyes of fire things. God-sighted. Qualified Moses to shepherd God's people. This tested or revealed where God's people were not really wanting God's leadership. When the people did not like the way that Moses led, they did not realize they didn't like the way God led. They wanted Moses to get out of the way and have God lead them, and God did that, but that was judgment. That was judgment when that happened. God gave them much harsher things than Moses really wanted God to several times, and Moses would intercede and plead for the people, and God would relent. Like It's very important to understand that God's leadership is offensive to the flesh, and humble people recognize that, open their hearts, and receive it, okay? And some people did. Some people did in Moses' day, and some people did in Jesus' day, and some people will in our day, okay? Their complaints about Moses were really complaints about how God had chosen to lead. So as the people complained, God gave them over to what they wanted, both by giving them the meat they craved and new leadership to answer their complaints about Moses, God did both. He actually gave them new leaders, and he gave them the meat that they wanted. Now, these were both judgments for them. I want to read this passage. This is what the Lord asked me to read to you this morning. Numbers eleven twenty-five. Holy Spirit, I'm asking, would you come? Would you show us what you want us to hear? Lord, where your words offend, help us to be broken by them and molded by them, conform to you. Where your words encourage, Lord, let them encourage us to draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him. Now, you have to know the backstory here. The backstory is the people of Israel, the man has come down. They're complaining that they don't have any meat. Moses gets super frustrated. He's like, God, kill me. Just kill me because I can't give these people meat. I can't make them stop complaining. I'm in between you and these people. They hate your leadership. I love you. It'd be better if you just killed me. And God just starts prophesying through Moses. He kind of doesn't even, it doesn't seem like he's even paying attention to Moses' request that God kill him. And he says, gather together the people. I'm going to appoint some leaders. I'm actually going to put the same spirit I gave you, I'm going to give it to them. They're going to have to bear the burden that I gave you is what he's saying. And then he said, I'm going to give the people meat, so much meat. I'm going to give them 20 days worth of meat. And Moses is like, God, how are you? What are we going to slay a bunch of cattle that we don't have and feed these people meat? And God said, I am going to do this because I am God. And even Moses was like, he couldn't figure out how God was going to do it. But if you know the story, God brought a bunch of birds. And the people ate so much meat, they got sick of it. As soon as the meat was in their mouths, he judged them with a plague. They started to die. He gave them exactly what they wanted. They could not realize that their arrogance and rising up above the word of the Lord was putting them into deeper judgment, okay? So this is where this, this picks up. 
and took the spirit that was upon him. Was that S capital or lowercase? Numbers 11.25, the very first line of Numbers 11 on page 1. Capital, the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. God took some of the Holy Spirit that Moses was walking in and gave it to these leaders that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. Why? They didn't want it. They wanted to complain. They complained after this. <laughs> Even though the Spirit was given, they still complained. And it happened when the Spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp, and the one was named Eldad, and the other was named Medad, and the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle. Does that sound like they were really yielded to what the Holy Spirit wanted? No. Did they still get the Holy Spirit? Yes, they did. Yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp. See, Moses, he was super humble. He wasn't trying to dole it out to people that agreed with him. He was like, I'll let the Lord deal with that. I just want everyone to prophesy. I actually don't want to be the guy that is the priest to everybody. I wish everybody would have gone up on the mountain with me is kind of what he's saying. And he's saying, I'm willing to endure people stealing from me in ignoring my leadership. If the Holy Spirit's doing this, I'm with the Holy Spirit doing this. Do you see the, the answer to false prophecy is not to call out the false prophets. It's to prophesy more. And if you look in the word, you're going to find this over and over. A false prophet comes and speaks. When the true prophet comes, he never condemns the false prophets. He just prophesies what's true. Then the false prophets say he's lying, and then he tells them how what they're saying isn't right. But he's, he's prophesying. He's not doubting what they're saying. Do you see what I'm saying? Moses wasn't doubting whether or not these people were qualified. He, he really didn't concern himself with that. He wanted everyone to prophesy. The theme throughout the Bible is that all can prophesy, that the people of God want everyone to prophesy. People that are led by God, they don't want to consolidate power. They actually want to see God know people and people know God. Do you see what I'm saying? This is very important for us, very important for the people of God right now, to want to know God themselves and to want other people to know God themselves and to not be afraid when people don't do it right because people don't do it right. People don't do it right. Even Moses. And Moses recognized that. He was humble. In this passage, it says he was one of the most humble people on the planet, or was the most humble man on on the planet later, in just a second. Now, uh, and Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp, about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side. That's a lot of birds. Like, you could walk for a day this way and walk a day that way. You're not running out of birds is what that means. And the people stayed up all that day, all night, all the next day, and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers. I don't really know what a homer is, but I picture like a basket. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Now, I want you to think about the people of Israel that are just reacting to what's happening. Do they think that those birds are great at first? Yeah. That's what they wanted. We got what we wanted. We've got favor with God. Was that great? No, of course not. We have to understand if we're just reacting to the next thing that happens, that's the opposite of being prophetic. Being prophetic means we understand the way God sees these things. We actually want to be a person, people that sees the way God sees what we would consider good, what the world would consider good, and what we would consider bad. Because a lot of things that we would consider bad, God's like, that's actually really good. And a lot of things we would consider good, God's like, that's not good. Don't give yourself into the things that I'm not giving you into. Now, this uh, trouble or judgment that God gave the people to, and they wanted it, it found out impatience and doubt. So this happening, this event happening, something happened next. And the thing that happened next was the people misinterpreted this judgment, and they got annoyed with Moses. Okay, so let's go to page 2. This is the very next thing to happen after the, the judgment. of the, There was a plague that the Lord sent when the people started to eat, and then there's some stuff about them moving to the next place, and this is what happened in the next place they moved to. Numbers 12, 1 to 16. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. 
Everybody say then. They spoke against Moses because of what had happened. They spoke against Moses. They, like, they, they tried to fix the leadership problem that was going on, and they completely misinterpreted how to do that because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. They found something wrong. They just found something wrong because something was wrong. But they found the wrong, wrong thing. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it, which is one of the more terrifying verses in the Bible. The Lord heard it. The Lord hears what we're complaining about. He hears our opinions. Like when we verbalize them, when we speak one to another, he is listening and he's actually giving us both the positive and negative aspects of those conversations, those words, those thoughts. So we actually don't want to be lazy with our emotions. We don't want to be lazy with where the enemy leads us because events are appealing to us to test us. We actually want to be really intentional about where we go emotionally. And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward. And then he said, hear now my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. That's a cliffhanger of a conversation. The anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and then the Lord went away. Like, he didn't tell them what was going to happen. Can you imagine that? You would not sleep well. You'd feel unsettled. That's, that, that's, I feel like the Holy Spirit just brought that forward. Like, um, don't just read these, these passages and think, okay, that's a great story. Like, why did it happen this way? The spirit of prophecy will tell you why it happened this way. The flesh will just tell you what happened. The spirit of, flesh, of prophecy will tell you why it happened this way. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. Then, and when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Now, there's an interesting thing happening in these two passages, Numbers 11 and Numbers 12. Moses wanted everyone to prophesy. What, was, what were Miriam and Aaron com complaining about? Everybody can prophesy, right? Well, yeah, that's what Moses has been contending for for you for the last like journey out of Egypt and through the desert. That's exactly what he's been trying to do is to show you. You can know God. You can. But they're annoyed with God. They're not annoyed with Moses. They're annoyed with God. And then... When this happens, this judgment on Miriam, did they say, God, we know you too. We're sorry. No, they go to Moses. <laughs> they go to Moses. They're like, Moses, tell God to stop this thing. But they just get done saying, everybody can prophesy. We all know God, right? Do you see the slipperiness of the human heart? This is what, this is what Moses was contending that would not happen. But even as it happened, he was contending for them. He was generous. He was humble. He didn't give up on them, even though they were directly confronting his authority, God's authority, through Moses, declaring that they could do the very thing that then they could not do. And even when they couldn't do it, Moses wasn't like, I told you so. He was like, God, re remove this. Inter he interceded. He, this, is, this is the spirit of Jesus. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the way that the Holy Spirit teaches prophecy. Do you get what I'm saying? All right, Holy Spirit, I'm asking, would you, would you help us connect this to the, the patience and faith of prophecy in Jesus' name? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again. Now, when the people left Israel... They left willingly. Why? Why did the people of Israel leave Egypt? I'm sorry, when they left Egypt, they left willingly. Why? They wanted to leave slavery. Where did they want to go? They want to go to the promised land. That's their whole goal. Their, their entire vision, their focus is getting to the promised land. So everything that waylays them, 
they see as a problem, right? They're impatient. That's why they're complaining about meat in the desert. They actually want to go back to slavery because there's no meat. Because they got out and it didn't happen instantly. There was this moment where they, re- they started to think, we're not going to the promised land. We're going to this wilderness to die. Where's the meat? Where's the promise? Where's all the good stuff? Over and over and over in the Bible, we see that prophetic promises like this, when we lose patience with God, we start to complain, and then we delay the promise. That's what they were literally doing. They were, so they get stuck seven days. They're impatient, and their impatience actually makes it take longer. So in the Word, it says that we can hasten the day of the Lord. How do we hasten the day of the Lord? Patience and faith. We actually believe this is the last hour. I don't need any more proof. I'm going to actually give myself to sanctification because I think I'm, I'm at the moment where it's the most promising time to be sanctified, and then the kingdom's coming in the way is not to be seen. Those open hearts actually release the kingdom into the earth. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us with our eyes to be looking for external things happening to other people so that we believe his kingdom's coming. He wants the kingdom to come through us. So we hasten the day by getting our eyes off of all the things we think aren't happening and into the thing that could happen if we would yield to his leadership. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, trust him. So then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had spent her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days. They didn't move until that was over. Now the word of the Lord, it's like a hammer that breaks rocks. So when Miriam and Aaron were like, we can prophesy, what they're really saying is we, can, we could be subject to the exact same testing Moses is subject to. They didn't see it that way, though. They wanted the honor and the glory of prophesying without all the trouble. And Moses was like, I wish everybody was in the same trouble I was in. That would be great. Do you see the difference? He saw prophecy way different than Aaron and, Aaron and Miriam saw it. And God, he's so generous, he corrected Aaron and, Miriam, Aaron and Miriam into it to the point where they honored Moses as a prophet. And they're like, make God stop. So the word of the Lord is like a hammer that breaks rocks. Jeremiah 23, 29 to 31. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces? All prophecy, all prophecy will break your pride. Otherwise, it's not prophetic. So if you want to prophesy, which you should, you want to be broken in your pride. That's the point, okay? Like a hammer that breaks rocks. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who steal my words, everyone from his neighbor. See, the initial experience with prophecy is a fleshy kind of wow. Oh, I could hear God too. That looks cool. That looks important. That feels good. We need that. Let's do that. I'll do that too, just like you. That's not prophecy. Holy Spirit, I'm signing up to be broken in my pride. I want to hear you. I'm willing to say it. I know that it comes with something that is going to change me to be more like Jesus. And I see Jesus on a cross. Do you see? That's the spirit of the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the immature kind of initial wow of it, that's great. That's where you start. That's where everybody starts. But we have to mature into, oh, this is like a hammer that's breaking down my pride. He's going to do things that don't glorify and elevate me. They're going to glorify and elevate Jesus, and they're going to make me ready to worship him forever. To be ready to worship Jesus forever means you're ready to be prostrate before him forever. Is the spirit of prophecy doing that among us? I think it is. I think it is. I think that's a great core value that we've settled on, that we actually want to be transformed into worshipers of Jesus by the spirit of prophecy. We just don't want to get stuck in the process of going from immaturity to maturity. We want to mature into that. That's what Moses wanted. That's what Paul said. All can prophesy. You see, this, the flesh puts boundaries. It says there's an office of the prophet, and only certain people can do this. That's, you won't find any of that in the Bible, in my opinion. What you're going to find is a Holy Spirit freely available to all who will pursue him. And Paul says, pursue prophecy so that the church could be edified, comforted, and exhorted. And that happens in your testimony of how God broke your pride. That's how that happens. Okay. Behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, he says. So you want to be careful when you say he says. You know, we encourage prophecy here, and we should. But we should encourage the fear of the Lord along with it. And we should be careful not to steal words from each other. We should honor where they're coming from and recognize that's an invitation for me to go to the Lord and see what he'll say to me. Do you see what I'm saying? That's different than I heard that prophecy. I'm just going to add something to that. No, that's, and it, that's not always wrong. It's just there's, some, there's a standard that the Bible lays out of knowing God for yourself. We want to get fully into that before we die. Okay? That's kind of the point. 
So where the spirit's moving, the flesh is provoked. I'm going to say that one more time. Where the spirit is moving, the flesh is provoked. When the spirit starts moving, one of the first things that's going to happen, you're going to feel like you need to start moving too. That's the flesh being provoked. You don't want to give in to that. You actually want to say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? What are you doing? Now, you're going to do this immaturely. That's kind of the point. But you recognize I'm immature in this. I'm going to get to the point where every word I say is going to be the same words that Jesus is saying. That's the goal, right, is to become one with him is the way that Jesus prayed it in John 17. Okay. And where the spirit of prophecy is active, so is offense with God, which offends God. So you have to understand the prophetic word, it offends the parts of us that don't like God's leadership. That offends God, and he deals with it. And we're like, I don't want to offend God. That's good. You shouldn't want to offend God. But you should also recognize that there are the fleshy parts of you, they do. And the flesh and, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So he's not like, hey, I'm just going to make peace with that offensive, that part of you that's offended with me. I'm going to let that in and kind of coddle it. He's not going to do that. The parts of, of the spirit of prophecy that offend us and if, with God, we have to recognize we're not offended with the prophet if it's a true prophecy. We're offended with God, and that offends God, and so that we make peace with God now while there's time. Okay? So the flesh working is clear. This is how you know that you're offended with a prophetic word or you're offended with God. Now, you might not always feel like it. You might feel like, I totally agree with that word. I love the spirit of prophecy. But if this is going on inside of your mind, will, and emotions, you're actually offended with God's leadership. Okay? Now, listen. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies. You ever been jealous of a prophetic word? If you're honest, you have been. You ever been jealous of the Holy Spirit really operating in somebody else? If you're honest, you have been. And so what we have to recognize is that's not okay. I can't just kind of live in that zone. I have to recognize there's something going on here where I'm resisting. I'm actually hating the spirit of prophecy, which is calling me to, to see God loves me completely and fully, that I'm also his favorite, and that the place that I want, no one else actually wants. If I could just get out of my flesh and let him give me the thing he's trying to give me, then I won't have to be like Aaron and Mary and being like, we hear God too. Do you see what I'm saying? There's something in the human flesh that when we see the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy, we want to crucify him. Like, but we, a lot of times we wouldn't recognize that. We'd be like, no, I love him. Just really jealous of everybody loving him too, and I kind of want them to love me. Right? That's what the Pharisees felt. Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, people that feel these emotions, that's all people. That's all people. The wise repent. The wise embrace the fact that they need a Savior. They're like, of course I feel that. I'm human, and I'm in the, the, I'm in the experience of God touching a group of people. I'm not going to shy away from the fact that that makes me feel provoked in the flesh. I'm going to embrace it and tell God, kill this flesh. Give me something to prophesy. Give me something to believe in. Give me something to hold on to. Give me something that will teach me patience and faith. Do you see what I'm saying? If you do that, you're stirring up each other to love and good works, even more so as, the day, as you see the day approaching. That's what you want. You want the spirit of prophecy to stir you up into love and good works, not stir you into the flesh. But it's designed to do both. God tests the righteous. He wants to know, where are you in the flesh? Okay? Just as I told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So you might hear a prophetic word and be like, I hate that word. But I love that God's releasing it. I love that it's changing me. I love, I look back how I resisted it. Now I'm starting to accept it. That's the, the word working well for you. That's breaking down your pride. You actually do love the word if the fruit of the Spirit are starting to be produced in the way that you receive the Spirit of prophecy. But if you don't, if you don't go beyond the initial stages of fleshy excitement or fleshy rejection, you'll never get to the point where the Holy Spirit changes you. You want the word to go into you and break you down like a hammer breaks rocks. Say So, so God's, uh, being outside of God's government, unprophetic or reactionary, is a sure way to be offended by it. Now, God, he shows us where we're outside of his government to get us in. He doesn't show us where we're outside to condemn us and shame us. He shows us where we're outside of his government to get us in so that we'll just be like, okay, I want to take a step deeper because I'm feeling something that's not like the government of heaven. When I'm experiencing the government of heaven, 
I'm never going to make the government of heaven go away. It's coming one way or the other. I want to be conformed to it. I actually want to be like it, okay? So being outside of God's government or unprophetic or reactionary. Now, we've seen a lot of reaction to judgment. We've seen a lot of reaction to, to prophecy in the last few years just with COVID-19. We've seen a lot of reaction to money things and to prophetic words. I mean, there's just been a lot of reaction to false and true prophetic words, right? But we don't want to be reactionary. We want to be prophetic ourselves. When I hear a prophetic word, I don't want to be like, that's false because I don't like the way that guy dresses. Or that's false because he's with the camp that believes that. Or that's false because he's saying this thing that I disagree with politically or spiritually. You actually want to be like, Holy Spirit, what do you say about that? Like, what are you saying over that word that was just said? That's to be prophetic, not reactionary. Really, we want to be a people that know what's coming. That's even better. But we don't want to evaluate things in our own flesh. We don't want to react to what's happening. We want to say, okay, Holy Spirit, what are we saying about this? What are we doing about this? You and I, me and you, Jesus, together. Because I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. Now, God's desire, as was Moses, was that the people would stop complaining about God's leadership and get into declaring it. That's what, that was the answer. If Aaron and Miriam would have stopped telling everybody, we can prophesy just like Moses and would have just prophesied, they would have been clean with God. If they wouldn't have complained, they would just prophesied, they would have been clean with God. They could have prophesied whatever God was saying about Moses and the Egyptian woman. If they would have done that, they would have been clean with God, right? I mean, God had an opinion about Moses and the, the woman he married. If they would have just said what God said about it, would God judge them negatively for that? No, of course not. But they were offended with God, so they looked at the man Moses. They found what they thought was something wrong, and they said what they thought about it, and God was like, I heard that. You just want to say what God's saying. That's all. Does that make sense? You guys with me? This is how a people gets clean, by saying what God says. Each one hearing God for themselves into the fruit of the Spirit. That's how you know. It's by the fruit that's produced in your life. So you could see, I mean, I don't want to go on a rabbit trail. Most will go into the flesh because the word of the Lord finds out impatience and doubt. Though You have to understand, when you hear a real, true, prophetic word, the very first place your mind, will, and emotions are going is into the flesh. And so we have to be a people that are like, wait a second, what you think, what you feel, and what you want to do about that. Let's talk to the Lord first. Let's find out what the Lord says about that thing right now. Jeremiah 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. He, what he's really saying is when I was leading Israel out of Egypt by Moses, I was using Moses as a shepherd. Anybody could have talked to me like Moses. Anybody could have come near to me. They could have come to the tabernacle of meeting. Moses set it up, went in. It says everybody else watched Moses go in. They watched him come out, but nobody would go in. But he says, I was a husband to them. They just didn't want me as a husband. They wanted somebody else. But he's saying, there's coming a time where I'm going to change all of that. Now, listen, this is the way he's going to change it. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. And write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor or every man his brother saying, know the Lord. Do you know that the church is so confused right now? It mostly thinks that's our role is telling other people, know the Lord. We organize entire ministries just to go out and tell people they need to know the Lord. But he's like, do you know what I'm doing? I want you to know the Lord. I want you to know the Lord. I want to write this on your heart so you don't even need a teacher. I want to write it on your mind so that you can together be one in me, stirring up each other in love and good works way beyond the initial things. That's what Hebrews 6 is describing. Is we got to move beyond the doctrine of baptisms and laying out of hands of the salvation of the dead. We have to go into knowing God, knowing him ourselves. I'll put my law in their minds and write on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor. Every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Now, impatience and doubt, they work counter to the spirit of prophecy. There's no healthy doubt, none. Doubt is it's the counter of faith. Like, you, you don't want to be like, I have a healthy skepticism that that was what the Lord said. You want to know what the Lord is saying. If you don't know what the Lord is saying, you don't know the Lord. You have to know what he's saying, okay? Doubt is uncreative. 
It's evil. It's the absence of faith. It actually needs an object to doubt. If somebody doesn't throw something out there, you've got nothing to doubt. It's uncreative. It's like Satan. Faith, it believes what the Lord says to it. Like, it believes that the Lord rewards those who diligently seek him. That's what pleases God. Doubt does not please. In fact, he says, don't think you're going to get anything from God if you have doubt. You're double-minded, like un- unsteady like the sea. Impatience causes doubt, and doubt causes impatience. Just as patience creates space for faith, and faith makes patience possible. They're interwoven together. Doubt and impatience, faith and patience, these, these are sets that go together. Impatience, uh, without faith, you cannot please God. Without patience, you cannot possess your soul. Faith, love, self-control, etc., require patience as a prerequisite. And the Bible's clear about this. By your patience, possess your souls. And I'll give you Luke 21, 19. So we have to recognize, I feel impatient, actually. But how do you know you're feeling impatient? When you want things before you. All the works of the flesh that we read in Galatians 5, that's actually the outgrowth of feeling in the flesh, feeling impatient about the promises that God wants to give. So when you're, like, jealous, you're actually impatient, right? Because you're like, he's not going to give me the thing that he gave the other person because he hasn't given it to me yet. And God would say, well, where's the faith and patience in that? Like, what would make you think I don't love you just as much as I love anybody else? Like, you got an identity problem and a God problem. You don't understand my identity and you don't understand your identity in me. If you did, you wouldn't be jealous of anyone. You wouldn't want what anyone else has. All of these works of the flesh are like this. Adultery, fornication, like all these things are answered in getting something from God, not in taking something out of your own soul. You can't. But by patience, you can possess your soul and you can say, hey, soul, You're thinking wrong about God right now. Yeah, I I get that we're feeling this emotion, but that's not God. And I repent of it, and I bring it to the feet of Jesus. Put something there, Jesus. Put a promise there for me. This is the way you take your thoughts captive. This is the way that you get victory over the devil in your own flesh, is you recognize, I need a Savior desperately. And then you bring your thoughts one by one to him, the ones that don't agree with him. This is the spirit of prophecy. What I'm describing isn't like, kind of lame Sunday school thing, and then let's prophesy too. This is the spirit of prophecy. That David prophesied over his own soul. So why are you downcast? Hope in God. Like we have to understand that prophecy, if, you don't, if you're not prophesying these things over your emotions, you're not really prophesying anything very good in agreement with the Lord. Though he might be releasing things through you, it might not be helping you. It might actually be taking you somewhere you don't want to go. Okay. Prophecy finds impatience, which looks like this, doubt or despair, discouragement. So what I mean is when you get a prophetic word, when somebody speaks a prophetic word to you, you get a prophetic word for what God wants to do in the world or in the church or in your family, that prophetic word, it will find out where you do these things, doubt or despair, where you get discouraged, complaining, dissension, division, heresy, making up new ways to frame waiting is unfaithful and impatient action is faithful. You ever had this happen to you? You're like, you know something that the Lord wants to do something. You're tired of waiting for it. So you start to think, waiting for it, that's unfaithful. Doing something, that's faithful. I mean, if you're a human, this happens to you. You have to recognize this is a pitfall of actually believing a prophecy. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He never was like, okay, God would want me to go and do this. He's like, God, what do you want me to do? He wanted to do things God didn't want. He wanted to actually not go to the cross. He said, Father, is there any other way? But the Father said, my cup, like that's what I want you to drink. So we have to be a prophetic people that recognize when we're in the spirit of prophecy, we're getting tested to find out where we're not prophetic, okay? This is a core value of Lighthouse, to to be a prophetic people, that the, the word is the standard by which we judge all prophecies by. And I'm giving you a ton of the word about prophecy, Walking away. This is the way impatience manifests, just walking away. I just had enough. I can't do it anymore. can't wait. I was wrong. Did God really say? That time is not right. We were too early. It's just I, I need more patience in this thing. That's not patience. That's actually impatience. So the, the truth is spiritual impatience feels like patience to the flesh. Like, you're like, oh, I was just too early. I was impatient. I'm just going to put that off another 50, 60 years, get back to life. That's impatience according to the Bible. It just didn't happen fast enough for you. Patience actually feels like impatience. You're just sitting there. You're not doing anything. Like, you actually need to go. Okay? So faith looks like impatience to the flesh. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, nobody wants the hopes and prayers anymore because that's just... 
they're, they're, that's like the, their faith looks like, uh, it makes people feel impatient. I guess I didn't word that quite right. Matthew 24, 48 to 51, we'll let the Bible speak for itself. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, does that sound like patience or, or impatience? Do you think that, that that evil servant feels like that's impatience? No, he thinks that's patience. All right, too early. He says in his own heart, my master's delaying his coming. I'm just going to give him some more time. That would feel like patience to the person who didn't see it the way God sees it. But God says that's impatient. It just didn't happen fast enough for you, but it's happening right now. And the, the contrast is the good and faithful servant who gives the other servants food at the proper time. His view of time is just different. He's seeing time different. And he's not speaking to himself in his heart. He's speaking to God about what to give other people. That's patient, okay? The master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him in an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him into and appoint him as portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We need a right prophetic vision of the timeline of the end time events or we will capitulate to the pressure of impatience. Do you think the world's growing impatient? Do you know that the world is actually putting out to the return of Jesus further and further because it's not lining up with what they think should happen. Church is doing this as well. If you listen, you can hear it all over the place. Eschatologies are being just mixed up, disrupted, pained, uh, pushed, just impatience. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the way the Lord is going to come. We just know he's going to come. We know there are certain things we're going to see them happen and that if we don't have the spirit, we won't even see the kingdom coming. So we want to be a faithful people. This is why the Pharisees missed Jesus' first coming. They were the experts. But they missed his first coming because they were impatient and unfaithful. They just doubted and wanted things to happen faster. What was the one thing that Jesus' disciples, even his disciples, kept saying to him? Will you at this time manifest your kingdom? They kept asking that over and over. Were they feeling patient about the manifestation of the kingdom? No, they were feeling impatient about it. Did he coddle that impatience? No, he didn't. He said, that is not for you to know. Actually, obey me. Get into the spirit of prophecy. Talk to me about what I'm talking about is what he said. We need a right prophetic vision of the timeline of end time events or we'll capitulate to the pressure of impatience. And I give you this Revelation 13, 6 to 10, where it talks about the war that's made against the saints and that if you react to that, if you try to go into captivity, you try to hide from it or you try to fight it, then you're actually going to be killed by the sword or taken captive. This is the patience and faith of the saints. We actually want to be ready for this war because we've been learning patience in the way that we see the end time events unfolding. Now, I want to say a couple of things. I'm going to end here. Light Hop will be a house of prayer in Kalamazoo for at least 1,000 more years because it's going to be a house of prayer through the millennial reign. Light Hop's going to be a house of prayer in Kalamazoo for 1,000 more years. So if there's some things you're like, this has to happen in the house of prayer before Jesus comes, are you right? Are you on the right side of the return of Jesus? Like, are there some things that Jesus, like, for instance, I have a belief that the house of prayer is going to end up in a very specific building across town. Is that going to happen before Jesus comes or after? I think it's going to happen after he comes. There's a lot of things I believe. I believe in unity in the, the entire church in Kalamazoo. Is that going to happen before he comes? It'd be better if it did. But maybe it's going to happen after he comes. Maybe we're not running out of time at all. He's just testing. Do we believe he's true no matter what we see? See, Jesus' friends, they just believed that he was the Messiah because it was revealed to Peter by the spirit of prophecy. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my rock. I'm going to build my church on that rock, that revelation that no man told you that. The Holy Spirit told you that. That means that Peter got that. And they, the, his friends believed it. What do you believe? What is God giving you? What if you just let the Lord mix, move some things around in your timeline of events would actually fill you with zeal right now for what he's doing? There are some things you're getting tired of waiting for. And you're like, we're running out of time. How could this possibly be? And it's just because you don't know. You just don't see time right. You need the spirit of prophecy to sort some things out for you. There's many things that are going to happen in the millennial reign that most of the church thinks has to happen before Jesus comes or will not happen until after the millennial reign. If you listen to eschatology, eschatological teaching, eschatological frameworks, everything hinges on the millennial reign. Everything. Post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial, it's all millennial. So you have to understand, somewhere in that thousand-year reign, there's a ton of promises. And I want to read you one more passage. Because right now, there's a great cloud of witnesses. They're waiting for perfection. They're waiting for glorified bodies. You know what they're waiting for? 
for you. They're waiting for you. Listen to this. Hebrews 11, 37 to 40. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good, say it, spirit of prophecy, through faith, did not receive the promise. None of them received the promise. They all had something in their mind's eyes, something the Lord had spoken to them. What were their promises? You don't know. You don't know. And even if you did, you'd probably see their promises differently than they did. You know, if I promised Jen something and I promised Samantha something, they'd see those promises differently because they have a different history, a different heart. They're all waiting for a promise, just like you are. Anybody here waiting for a promise? Promise about your family? Promise about the city? Promise about the return of Jesus? Listen to this. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. That has implications on both sides of that equation. When are you going to get the promise? With them. They're waiting to get it with you. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? Most of the promises we're waiting for, we're going to get them in the millennial reign when people get glorified bodies. That's what that means. God, Listen to this again. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Does that mean you're going to get me be made perfect apart from them? No. Does that mean you're waiting for promises you're not going to see until then? Yes, of course. But you have to understand the natural way Jesus is coming back. When Jesus comes back, there will be millions of people who don't think he's Yeshua, the Christ. It says that if a nation doesn't bring its, its glory and wealth to him at the Feast of Tabernacles, which we just celebrated, if it doesn't bring it, no rain falls on that land. There'll be a time of reconciling Jesus throughout the earth for, I think, hundreds of years. So if you're like, Jesus is going to come back, none of this is going to matter anymore, which is the way everybody thinks about it at first, then you make all kinds of crazy decisions to like not do things or do things because you think the time is short. But that's not the way time is short. Time is short for you to get sanctified. Time is going to go on way past Jesus returning, and then you're going to really regret not getting sanctified on this side of it. Time is short to get sanctified. Time is short to get faithful. Time is short to get believing. It's not short to fulfill all the things God promised. He's not running out of time. If you want to hasten the day, let's stand together. They aren't just waiting for us. We're also waiting for the great cloud of witnesses. Listen to this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Was that what Jesus was expecting to happen? Yes and no. He believed the Father. It's not what he wanted. He prayed that the Father would take it. Holy Spirit in this room. where we're seeing things and feeling this pressure of impatience, where we're giving up, God, where we're thinking, maybe it's not the time. Maybe God didn't say. We're doubting the house of prayer. God, would you show us how you see faithful and steady? Would you show us what it makes Jesus' heart feel like to see faithful and steady? When it seems like nothing's happening, God, but we still believe the promise. What does that feel like for your son? God, would you fill us with a a zeal to hasten the day of our readiness? Lord, where we've despised prophecy and didn't even know it, we repent. If that's you, just tell him, I'm sorry. I didn't even know I was despising prophecy when I was jealous, when I was contentious, when I was argumentative, God. Lord, would you give us the spirit of prophecy that looks forward? God, would you forgive us of our, the critical nature we were born with? Lord, we lay it at your feet right now. Would you give us an opinion about your son's return? A faithful one, God, informed by the Holy Spirit. God, I'm asking for a reordering of the timeline for every single person in this room, including me. I just want to, I want you to explain things to me, Jesus. I don't want to explain them to you. I want you to explain things to me, Lord. I want to be alive, growing, 
adding wisdom to wisdom, strength to strength, knowledge to knowledge, God. Fill this room with fire, Yeshua. God, I'm asking that this week in the prayer room that the spirit of prophecy would manifest. Lord, that it would lead us closer to you and not further away from you. That we wouldn't steal words from one another. That we'd hear you speaking through our friends and then come talk to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.